Hello everyone, my name is Walia Eaglehawk and I am the BTS theorist. I'm a sociologist, a social theorist, a full-time army, and the author of Idle Limits, The Art of Loving BTS as Phenomena. I make books all about BTS and ARMY, and now I'm making podcasts too. On The BTS Theorist, I want to bring to you stories from within the fandom and new perspectives on BTS and ARMY. Think of this as a place where I share ideas, experiences, and observations all about those seven men we love so much, and the fandom that journeys next to them. Plus, I'll bring in people to interview from time to time just to keep it fresh. If you're an ARMY, it's so good to have you here. If you're a curious onlooker, hi! I hope you find this episode informative and that you walk away with a better understanding of just what makes BTS and ARMY so good. So, what is this episode all about? Today's episode is about my latest book project. It is called I Am ARMY, We Don't Need Permission. This book features a collection of essays from ARMY from around the world that share their stories of how they found BTS and who on earth they are. Today, I am joined by Ran. Um, Ran Rice is an academic from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a writer too. Oh my goodness, we have so much in common already. Having recently graduated from the University of Minnesota, his studies were primarily focused in psychology and gender and queer studies. He is passionate about health, healthcare and advocates for trans rights within healthcare systems and social policy. And of course, he is an army. Hi, Ran. Hello, um, I'm so excited to be here today. My name is Ran, and I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Well, I'm going to introduce your essay, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. So you get to do all of the talking. Um, no pressure. You're already doing great. We just had an awesome little random chat before this started. And um, yeah, I think today's conversation is going to be awesome. So Ran's essay is called My Name is Ran, A Not-So-Lonely Gender Journey, and it was an absolute standout to me from the very beginning. Um, this is the kind of essay that I always hope people write and submit um, into consideration for publication. The way Ran effortlessly weaves his story of gender identity with that of fan identity left me wanting to talk to him for hours and hours on the topic, uh, which is kind of why I wanted to do this podcast series, actually. I was like, how do I get this guy in the studio so we can talk <laughs> all about identity, fan identity, gender, you know, social constructs, binaries, dichotomies, all of my favorite things. Um, I just, I can't wait to get into this one. So without further ado... I would love to know from you um, how you first found BTS and became an ARMY. Yeah, I love to talk about that. And I kind of just in general on the same page with you as well. I love being able to talk a little bit more about this since I was really grateful for the opportunity to write about it too and share it with other people. Um, but yeah, so how I first got into BTS and became an ARMY, um, I think might be a relatively similar experience to quite a few people. Um, it was definitely later in the game um, and more specifically during um, the time of COVID-19 and the pandemic. I was dealing with some interesting living situations going from having recently returned from living abroad and then just navigating family um, and my transition, which did start very much around the same time that I found BTS. And I'm actually very, very grateful for that overlap. Uh, as you can probably tell from my essay, and then also just from more of the stuff that I'll talk about today as well, too. Uh, but specifically, I will say it uh, was related very much also to just the very online culture that everybody had during the pandemic. 
seeking solace via um, social media, things like that, and just trying to reconnect as a community because that had been taken away from us physically. And it's very natural for people to seek out people. Um, So pandemics are very hard for people to manage and accommodate um, mentally specifically. So for me, mentally starting my transition while also being isolated from people was really, really hard. And so I had stumbled across uh, BTS online as one usually does. I think for me personally, I didn't start specifically with the music, but I came to learn that a lot of people actually didn't usually start with the music too, but very quickly. Uh, turned into music as well. So it was very much content based um, and then just kind of reading and learning and then listening and watching. And it just went from there, which was really nice. Um, and then, yeah, being being ARMY just was like a natural step after that and kind of became conducive to a part of my identity along with my transition, which was really helpful. Is probably Okay. So my my next question is, uh, what was the piece of content like? What, so can you like literally, can you paint the scene of like the first time you ever perceived BTS? Like where were you? What were you doing? What was going on? And what, what went through your mind? I can, I can try. I can try. And I think I know because I think about this a lot when I try to like go back to like when it actually happened and like what came about. And I want to say that it was a mixture of some version of a TikTok edit that just happened to be on my my For You page that I was just like, oh, fun and bubbly people, you know? And like, and I gravitate towards that. And then I think what I learned was that it was actually a clip from the 2016 Carpool Karaoke, I believe, video. And in that video specifically, uh, Namjoon is in the front seat. And so I think that he stood out to me in that sense but also in the middle was um Hobie and so I was very much like drawn by two just like very bubbly and outgoing like seeming characters and people and so I was just like oh what's this about and I think I ended up watching that full video and that was actually a longer version of a carpool karaoke than they usually do and it included them outside of the car too and the minute they did like the choreo and the dancing I was kind of just like I need to watch more of these interviews and so I just went on an interview content route and i just watched interviews like and most specifically like western interviews which i think probably was not great to begin with and so i branched into other interviews as well and then that very quickly folded into like watching some of their actual content that they release on their own whether that be um, you know some lives or just um, some of their behind the scenes stuff and then I that transferred pretty quickly into um, performances, which then was into music videos, which then was into music, which I knew I would eventually get to the music regardless, because everybody who knows me knows that music is my favorite language. So it was it was going to happen regardless. I wasn't trying to stop it, but it just didn't happen as quick as I thought it would. Interesting. All right. So you saw the, the carpool karaoke video, which interestingly, I want to point out, I'm not sure if you've read the rest of the book yet or if you're going to wait for the, the physical copy, but actually uh, carpool karaoke features a lot um, because it came out during the pandemic. So it was for the Map of the Soul 7 promotions and they were in America. Um, I'm from memory. Oh my gosh. Uh, even though it was three years ago, it feels like a long time, right? Um, they were, they were there just before, uh, everything shut down from the pandemic, um, to promote Map of the Soul 7. And then the video came out and it really, um, got to a whole new group of people that very quickly became army during the pandemic. And I think somewhere I read a statistic that says that about 50% of our fandom right now, um, came from the pandemic, which is wild like that we had we we grew that quickly since 2020 
Um, so, okay, I have a few questions because I just, I really want to know, you know, what this was all like for you because this is what gets me so excited because it's kind of like life before BTS <laughs> and life um, with BTS afterwards. So what kind of music did you like before this? Like was it kind of within the realm of BTS or was it totally different? Because I know like this isn't, the music wasn't what first got your attention, right? It was an edit on TikTok and then interviews. So I'm just curious to know what kind of music were you into? That's actually a really good question. I do really enjoy that because I also kind of agree. I think that's really interesting to see that kind of trend and that shift because to me, it wasn't much of a shift in in, in all honesty. Um, but with that being said, I think that's because the majority of the music that I liked before was just kind of a little bit of everything. I Music, like I said, is my favorite language. I had a lot of musical influence growing up um, and that was specifically old country music as well as 80s um, hits and things like that, which was influenced from my family and specifically my father, who we, we connect a lot through music. Karaoke was kind of our thing growing up and just that was our bond, really. And as I grew older, it shifted into just kind of everything. We I really like new music, which I also really appreciated social media for just finding new artists, people that aren't like you know, the next best thing, but just want to make music and enjoy what they're doing. And then I happen to like their music and that's great. And that works for me. And so I find new artists that way. And then, you know, you scrounge up some old people, some older artists and older music that you feel like relates to you. I am really big on lyrics. I'm a lyricist. I really love, I mean, as a writer, that makes sense. The math adds up, but I really love good lyrics. Um, but I can also relate to just like every aspect of songs too. So before it was kind of a mixture of everything. I loved the new stuff. I loved unknown people. I also loved just your average top 40, like anything I can dance and sing to is going to be great too. Um, but I really like music that speaks to me. And I think of things that songs can be related to. I think of people when songs come up, I, you know, I'm like, oh, this song reminds me of my sister or this song reminds me of my best friend or like whatever it is. And then it's just, that's just how I relate to that, that music from then on out. And it's important to me. So I think switching to listening to specifically K-pop music wasn't a big shift for me um, because I did listen to a lot of um, not, non-English music anyway as well. Like that was always just a part of what I listened to. Um, because I kind of just listen to everything like in like the weirdest way. I never really thought of like my music taste as something specific or like not able to grow or change or shift. So it was a pretty right. easy transition to make in all okay. honesty, which was yeah. good. <laughs> That's so interesting. And, you know, the one one interesting thing I just heard is that your first experience of BTS was carpool karaoke and something that you really bonded with your dad over was karaoke, um, which is really interesting, right? So anyway. That's just a cool little no, it thread. Is, it yeah? is not surprising in any way. Okay. I love karaoke. <laughs> I love that there's that connection. So it's just, it's not surprising. <laughs> love it. Love it so much. Okay. So how old were you back? So this is 2020, right? When you first saw them. Is that right? Yeah. 20, yeah. 2020 sounds about accurate. The time frame is iffy. I really tried to like pinpoint it, but I know mm. that it was right within the shift of kind of moving to different, um, places that I was staying at during the pandemic and yeah post job loss and post you know what everybody was yeah 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 and I mean okay so how I find it really interesting so this is the beginning of your transition it was COVID-19 and you were 
changing your living situations around. So this was because of, you know, the pandemic and also your pre-graduating university as well. Correct. Like, yeah. So okay. the time frame was really weird. I came, I, so it kind of starts actually, I had was studying abroad. I was abroad in London, England for about four or five months right before the pandemic hit. I flew home and was living with my parents. There was uh, an unfortunate um, health circumstance in my family that I became a caregiver to a family member for right up until the pandemic started. So I didn't actually get to like kind of move on with what I wanted to continue doing because I was literally in the exact middle of my my undergraduate career and had to do that. And then I moved to the cities and started up school again, but I was living with family. And then um, the pandemic hit. I lost both of my jobs while still in school, which isn't great because that funds school. <laughs> um, so that kind of changed some things for me as well. And then I moved to other family, partially due to my starting my transition. Um, there was just some familial ties that needed to be finished and didn't quite get there in time. And so I moved to, with other family, again, due to money and financial reasons, because I was still not working. Um, and then I f- was able to finish my undergrad career all the way up through 20, 2021, spring of 2021 was when I graduated. And all the last th- two and a half semesters of that was virtual. Everything was online. And right around the second to last semester was when I had really officially started my transition and everything. So all of that was happening amidst that as well. So I moved like three times four times if you include coming back to the country um, wow. within the span of like six months each. And then the pandemic had hit and then I, I graduated college. So. Yeah. And, and throw in becoming an army on top of that. Like there was becoming a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the best part of it really. Right. Right. And was that, that what it felt like? To... Like finding BTS, was that um, like a way for you to just focus on pure joy and entertainment or were there, were there parts Very to that as well that so. were like, because I know we're going to talk about it a bit in a second, but like, so like the BTS mm-hmm. stuff to you was very much like joyous entertainment. Let's like have some fun. Let's be silly, goofy, yeah. um, and also enjoy like their lyricism and their music. Um, so that was probably very helpful, I'm guessing, during that time. It was. You. Mentally yeah. speaking, it was incredibly helpful because that was what I was looking for was some version of mental stability in the, the, all of that. Like everything I had just described was kind of a lot. It was, it was weird to be like this. Like, I mean, you'd ask how old I was. I think I was like 22 at the time. That sounds right to me. Um, 21 or 22 really. And it felt so weird to be sitting there feeling stuck as like a 22 year old, like on unemployment, just trying to like finish an education trying to deal with like pretty big family upheavals due to just existing. (laughs) Um, so like, you know, the general, like, um, working through those things and I just I don't know I felt so lost and so just like I mean not to play too much into my piece but alone (laughs) and BTS was there and I was like well I might as well take you up on the offer because you got good music you're funny and you you make me not feel sad (laughs) to an extent anymore which is maybe just all that some of us needed. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So this is already shaping up to be really interesting. I'm learning so much more about you already and I've read your essays. So <laughs> this is, this is great. Okay. I'm trying not to like fangirl, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting there. Okay. So in your essay, uh, after your kind of like your preamble, the first thing you ask, the first kind of part of it is asking, am I really army? 
And um, you also write, I know I'm not an ideal fan. So can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? And what, what do you think it means to be an army? And I guess, what did you think it means to be an army? And has that changed at all? Yeah, no, I do really want to talk about that, actually, because it kind of made me think about what you just asked me as well. But the reason I had started that a lot with Am I Really Army is very, very much related to starting my transition at the same time as finding BPS, because I did this thing that isn't probably healthy, but we worked on it. We're working on it. Um, but I, for the longest time, didn't, I pushed away naming and labeling as part of my identity as a way to kind of pretend it wasn't happening per se. And so for the longest time, I I say that I effectively started transitioning two years ago, but realistically, I, I started transitioning when I was nine years old, socially, mentally, in all the ways that I could, um, without having to voice that and without having to quote unquote, come out as um, people would say. And so when I did start transitioning more publicly and more openly, a lot of that was I was doing all of the things that would make me very, very effectively, easily labeled as a trans man because I am a trans man. But I kind of refused that. I, I would just deny the term trans. I would deny the identity as a whole, but I would do all of those things. Um, and when I found BTS and when I started doing all of the things like being a fan, following them, being a part of the content, being a part of the community. I would do all of those things while at the same time being like, I'm not really ARMY though. <laughs> like, that's not for me. That's like, while doing it simultaneously. And so it very quickly became this realization, um, which was around two years ago, around that time where I started to really take the time to look into myself. I had all the time in the world because nobody was doing anything. <laughs> we were sitting in our rooms. Um, and I really turned it, turned it inside and found through a lot of really hard work that it was just internalized transphobia that I was dealing with um, from our society, from the mindset that we're raised with, from just anything and everything. And once I was able to realize that, I was like, oh, I'm trans and that's okay. And I'm already doing all the things I need to do to make myself feel better. And that makes me feel a little bit better to know that. And simultaneously, then I was able to turn and be like, you know what? I'm also ARMY and that's pretty great too. <laughs> that's fine. I'm already doing all the right things. It's okay. <laughs> Um, luckily enough too, for me, I would like to add that around that time was when I discovered idol limerence as well. And, um, it, it, <laughs> it destroyed me in one of the best possible ways. It changed my life for the better, like mentally speaking. Um, and I think around that time was when I was able to just really accept like, Hey, this is okay. You can be a part of this. You're allowed. You're welcome. It's fine. Um, so yeah kind of just tying those two together oh uh, great very much go hand in hand <laughs> I wasn't ready for that one um trying not to get emotional over here um <laughs> okay let me compose myself um so I'm gonna make you talk a little bit and then I'm gonna I have some thoughts but I've just gotta get over that one um <laughs> the idle limerence part by by the way everyone that's my book um <laughs> not the other part. Um, so when you say, I know I'm not an ideal fan, can we just unpack that a little bit? So you're saying that that was all part of a time when you were feeling like, you know, you didn't want the labels, etc. Do you still feel that you're not an ideal fan? And either way, can you just um, explain like, why weren't you an ideal fan? 
Yeah, I can go into that more. I, I realized after I just went on that spiel that I didn't answer your question. So I'm sorry about that. But um, yeah, the the comments about not being the ideal fan, that very much relates to what I had originally opened my essay with too, which was kind of going through all these things that like you have to do in order to be a fan. Like you have to do these things correctly and there's like a right way to do it. And it took me a while to realize that like that there isn't a right way to do it there isn't like a perfect answer like if you like bts that's enough like you can just be a fan you can be a part of army but even after that realization was when i discovered that it felt like i still didn't fit in a hundred percent um and which is where that that line i know i'm not an ideal fan came from only because it it relates to a lot of aspects of just how most people perceive army and um, which is really, truly why Idol Limerence broke that down for me, because it breaks down the ways of why we can't have these misconceptions or these like inaccurate assumptions about just a, a giant group of people. It's literally just the concept of like, we can't generalize, which we should already know. And I genu genuinely practice daily too. But for some reason, I was just like, well, it's been generalized and everybody, nobody was denying it until you came along. And then I was just like, oh. I don't belong. <laughs> so I I kind of like ignored my own inner thoughts a little bit too, which was not great. But um, I don't know. I guess it does kind of, it does make me think, think a little bit about a part of my essay that I can read if that's okay with you. Sounds good. Yeah. So kind of relating into a little bit of what I was talking about as far as being an ideal fan. This is just a piece from my essay. Army is said to be many things, but I'm having a really hard time believing the voice inside my head that tells me this is how it is supposed to be. I am afraid of the truth untold, but the common denominator here is me. I am not an ideal fan. Even in the discussion around Army, you hear terms like fangirl that personally don't resonate with me. As a queer, transmasculine, and gender non-conforming fan, I'm afraid I find most gender descriptions of Army unrelatable. I especially feel left out of most fan edits or references to the fan base that rely solely on the use of she and her gender, gendered pronouns. And even as I write this, I have a hard time putting my identity descriptors on paper. To me, they are fluid and always changing. I know most people prefer to have definitive answers when it comes to things like who I am and how I see myself. For me, that's a nearly impossible task. I may never have these answers. Not only have I made peace with that, I've also made peace with the fact that it's something others may never be able to make peace with. When I asked a friend what the non-binary term for fangirl was, I received an even more devastating response. Something along the lines of, I think just fan. Ooh, just. <laughs> just. Yeah. Just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? Okay. All of that, what I find really wonderful about your essay um, is that I'm, you know, a cis woman, right, and everything that you wrote as a trans man was so relatable um, because I feel the same way, even though I do identify as a fangirl, it's still that whole just a fan. Um, even as a trans man, you are being put in this, oh, just other kind of category, less, not as good. Um, but as a fan in general, we're also put into that category. So, like, you're getting it twice as much, right, because you twice as much don't fit into the norm. Um, so I really, I guess that's what was so um, wonderful for me as a reader was like, hey, we come from very different experiences 
but we're actually having the same universal experience of not fitting, um, coming up against all of these binaries, dichotomies. Um, there's, of course, misogyny, transphobia. You know, like there's all this different stuff that we're kind of having to negotiate in the world and, of course, me less so than you. But it all comes up when we go through this army experience. So what I found really interesting is that you were transitioning and you were becoming an army. So you were going through two quite one. Of course, transitioning is huge, right? But also um, that whole journey of becoming an army, which, of course, you read in Idle Emirates, so you're very familiar with that was my journey, um, trying to grapple with the fact of I'm an adult, I'm a mature intellectual, <laughs> I'm an academic why am I having these feelings um, for a boy band? Like they're just a boy band. They just make pop music for hysterical, quote unquote, fangirls. Um, does that make me one of them? And um, I, I do fit the mold a lot more than you. So I can't imagine what it was like to not identify as being a girl or a woman. I'd be like, well, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, I, I really don't fit. And, um, and then also to get the kind of the fandom rhetoric of who ARMY is. Like you've got to be online chronically, streaming, voting, making edits. Um, and that's just not who I am. And I know that's not who you are either. So that's it's a really hard thing to know like, well, can I still enjoy them and can I still be a fan? Um, yeah. So anyway, that's what I, and I'm so glad to know that you got, you could take away the same stuff from Idol Limerence. Um, just in the same way that I could take away from your essay as well, uh, which is the power of writing, um, which is why we're here. Um, okay. So that piece that you just read out was so wonderful and I want to use that to kind of segue. So we've already really talked about your gender journey and going into your army journey, which is a really cool juxtaposition. Um, and it did happen around the same time, which I think is no mistake. So what I want to go into now is the idol fan dichotomy, um, which, of course, I delved into quite a lot in Idol Limerence and then you talk about it as well. But instead of hearing me talk about it, I would love to hear you talk about it. So there is another excerpt. And I want to get you to read it <laughs> and then I'll, then I'll ask I'll ask a question after that. All right, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely read more of that excerpt here on the Idol Fan Dichotomy. And again, yeah, just kind of going off of what you were saying, very much related to Idol Limerence. Um, I did, that was a huge takeaway for me as well, just in the concept and in the way that I related to it. So um, for sure, but I will go ahead and read a piece of that here as well. The idol and fan dichotomy is one of the more difficult binaries I've recently studied next to gender. Interestingly enough, I find myself once again contemplating the reality of such a juxtaposition. An idol has more power than a fan who got them to where they are. No matter how much an idol may love their fans, the inequalities remain. An idol can only be an idol within a capitalistic society. An idol can only exist at the expense of their fans. One is powerful and the other less so. One makes a profit from the other and rarely is it the other way around. It only remains ethical for as long as the fan willingly participates, but that in, its, in itself is up for debate. It is in dissecting these binaries that I am once again confronted with my own personal, personal binary battle. I want my body to exist in the same genderless hell as my mind. Ah, yes. My favorite line from your essay, <laughs> I want my body to exist in the same genderless hell as my mind. Oh, yes. Okay. And I still um, do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, to be, to be, yeah, honestly. Um, and I think my takeaway from that is that it resonated with me in the sense, well, firstly, that it's just, um, a piece of real and raw writing from you. So of course, anytime you get to read like some raw writing from someone, it's like, oh, it's, it's visceral, right? Even though I've never had the experience of, oh, I want my body to exist, like as in a genderless hell, like, because I am privileged enough not to feel that way. But it's like, oh, I really, I really do get it though. It's like, because, and the way that I get it is that I want to exist outside of the binary, binary of idol and fan, right? I want to not be thinking about that. Like these are social constructs, right? And I think at our core, we just want to be free (laughs) of all of this, um, quite frankly, bullshit that just seeks to dominate and control us. Like who cares? We know who cares, but like, yeah. So I, I get that, that frustration because I feel it every day where it's like, I don't want to be part of BTS and ARMY in the sense that I don't want to be stuck in this binary where I can't actually reach them and I am on one end and they're on the other and this is how it works because the dynamic must be maintained. There must be that distance and I must be the one that is looking to them and wanting to create art about them and tell everyone about them because that's what I'm, I mean, we're doing it right now, aren't we? Um, It's something that we want to do and it makes us really happy, but I want to exist outside of that as well. So that's where I really start to, yeah, I love that line. Anyway, rambling, fangirling. Um, Okay, so... You write that the idol and fan dichotomy is one of the more difficult binaries you've recently studied next to gender. So, of course, you've just done your degree on lots of dichotomies and binaries, um, of course, of course. And I'd love to unpack that a little. So can you let me know and walk me through what the idol fan binary is and what makes it so complex? Um, Yes, I'm going to pretend like I know nothing on this topic and let you tell me all about it. I'm going to try my best, but the irony is that I learned most about, about it from your writing. So, Well, let, um, it's, it's kind of like a quiz then. Let's see. Where are you paying oh, okay. attention? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think real, realistically, kind of what you were just talking about, to be honest, as far as just like the dichotomies that we exist in and the way that it's all social constructed and it's just our reality, um, as much as we are constantly trying to break out of that, the excerpt um, that I included of Idle Limerence in my piece that I just read for my essay stood out to me the most for one very specific reason, and that was your comment on a capitalistic society. My thesis for my undergrad was a very, very specific um, concept on an anti-capitalistic theory regarding um, sexual identity and sex as a whole. Um, And I kind of coined this term anti-capitalistic orgasm to an extent, um, which is very wrapped around a lot of things and it was an autoethnographic essay so very similar to the way this essay is um, written. can you can you share more on this what this what this can you give us like um a sentence on what this anti-capitalistic orgasm is and how can i have one thank you <laughs> i mean it's very much what it sounds like but um my theory in my undergrad and my thesis was very much revolved around queer theory. I studied gender theory and I studied um, feminist theory, but I also studied queer theory and trans theory. And queer theory was really where I stuck. And that was where I really wanted to focus all my work on. And so I very much 
specifically focused on um, the way that sex and sexual experiences and sexual intercourse is seen as a physical transaction under the world of capitalism, specifically in a misogynistic point of view and um, not, uh, you know, not very beneficial for a fab people, um, assigned female at birth. Um, people and things like that. And so I kind of twisted it around in a little bit of a twist on the concept of faking orgasms and how that actually is an empowering thing to do for AFAB people and kind of just tying it in with queer theory and all that there is with that. But it was very, the, the main idea was that, you know, sex would be better the world wasn't capitalistic, <laughs> um, which is like a hot take maybe, but um, I stand by it. <laughs> so um, that was why that part in the idol fan dichotomy really stood out to me because I was like, yes, I will say it once and I'll say it again. Everything comes back to capitalism being the problem. So, um, and then it kind of like scared me a little bit in the sense of the idol fan dichotomy too, where the comment is literally that we wouldn't be able to have this though, if, if capitalism was a thing. And I had brought that up with a friend of mine who very interestingly responded after having newly been introduced to BKS by me that the comment was like, well, if anybody in the world could write a book about BTS existing in a non-capitalist society, it would be you. And I'm sure we could find a way to make it work. And I was just like, you're so right, though, because like we could find a way to make it work. It would be fine. And lo and behold, they, they kind of did it themselves with the free concert, but it's fine. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of just that that concept really brought out the the emphasis of the dichotomy for me between idol and fan and i really wanted to dive deeper into that in the sense that i think it ties to that a lot um which very much relates to just power in general power with a capital p do um as uh, we say but um yeah just that relationship as a whole is really messy because i am also very similar in that my goal in life is to live beyond dichotomies um and exist outside of the binary but that is almost nearly impossible to do in the society we live in because they make it that way it's meant to be that way you only have a certain amount of options and choices and a lot of the times the choice is a perceivable choice it's just to make you think you have one so um it's like it's difficult in that sense um and so, yeah, that's where that relation came to, for me, between the idol and fan dichotomy is just that concept of that power and the power that's held within within capitalism. I really just, I really, it hurt me a lot, actually, to fall in love, per se, with something that was so deeply rooted in capitalism, because that scared me, in a sense. I was just like, oh, I'm not, I feel like maybe I'm not being myself um, as somebody who is very anti-capitalistic. Um, so that was really scary. But then, I don't know, I read Idle Limerence and everything was fine. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Great. So so if anyone's having a freak out about parasocial relationships, <laughs> um, capitalism, the Idle fan binary, Idle Limerence seems to help. Um, it's also terrifying, I've heard. Um, it, it can be quite confronting. So, you know, um, parental guidance is needed for those under the age of 15, <laughs> I would say. Um or at least someone with like a sociology degree to help unpack some stuff. Okay, cool. So binaries, I think we could, yeah, we could go on for days about this. But um, what I want to know, so of course we're we're stuck in these binaries to some degree, but we're not without 
um, agency or autonomy. So I think that's really important to remember, well, to some degree, right? (laughs) We're all slaves to capitalism, like we're all a bit screwed. But within that, we can still find ways to empower ourselves, Um, which is interesting because BTS are so empowering, but I also find the binary to be very disempowering, um, which not a lot of people talk about. Like, yeah, that like we consume their content and it's really fun. It's bloody awesome. It's bloody great. But then we still have the lived experience of being nowhere near them, not actually knowing them. Um, we're on the other side of this binary. We're the ones that sustain them financially um, and otherwise, and they don't know that we exist. So that can be quite, well, for me, I found that quite struggling, uh, quite, a, quite a struggle to get my head around, to be like, oh, you don't know who I am. Um, which is probably just because I'm really full of myself. Like, oh, you don't know who I am? Like, are you serious? But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that my mind really struggled with and it still struggles with. So um, an interesting way that I think that you brought up um, how you can have some agency within this um, and a really important point that you came up with um, I'd like to talk about now. Um, it's why it's important for people to know that you're here and to know your name. So you wrote, uh, I would like to think it could balance out the binary of idol and fan if maybe uh, they, BTS, knew my name. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, naming, labelling within the queer queer community and the power that you can get from people knowing who you are? Yeah, and I would argue a little bit too that in that line that they is BTS and ARMY, (laughs) which we don't really find out until a little bit later, but yes. Oh, Um, spoilers, spoilers, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it um it is very much related to I do think that it it could um maybe inter like kind of go into that binary a little bit because one of the things that and again I'm gonna just relate this right back to capitalism because dichotomies and capitalism besties. Um but the concept of capitalism as a whole really seeks to limit the individual. Um, from having an individual expression and from having a individual identity like it is very much the community and it's ironic though because you think they make it look like they're really big on the individual they want to like stay as far away from any concept of we're all the same we're all one we're all community but that's really what it is and so it's just kind of another flip-sided coin of any kind of academic or um, economic structure that you've seen in history and they just try to like make it look pretty. And so with that being said, I do think that if the concept of like somebody knowing my name puts a little bit of like humanization to me as a person, even if it's just that, like if that's all they ever know, like it's not like you just saw somebody in a crowd of people and you were like, that's a person, but realistically you're just seeing a group of people and you just see people and then it doesn't really relate to you that way mentally. So for me personally, I was just like, if somebody knew my name, I think that would be enough to make me feel a little bit less unseen. Like it doesn't, I don't need recognition. I don't need to be, you know, I don't need attention all the time. I just need somebody to know that like I exist to some extent um, beyond just like already existing. Uh, And so for me, that was like the right way to go about it. It was like, maybe if they just knew my name, it'd be fine. Maybe if somebody out there knew my name, and they would have all the information they need, we'd be good to go. End of story. I wouldn't feel so stuck in this binary. Um, And I think that plays into power a little bit too. Uh, Just taking away the, adding humanization really takes away power in the negative sense. Um, 
which is like the main form of you know control in a, in a, our society whether it's you know capitalistic patriarchal all of the above you know the big part of control is is dehumanization and removing that factor from people so that you can justify how you treat them and the fact that you don't care about them <laughs> um so i was like maybe a little bit of humanization would work and a great way to do that is naming and labeling which then to me very specifically related back to the queer community i wrote a i feel like i wrote quite a bit about jack howard sam's piece um trans uh, um, on naming and labeling within the queer community because as much as naming and labeling kind of came about um you know historically in a really bad way with like colonialism and with just the idea of like starting with naming things just to to sort and organize and create a way to understand understand things it also puts like a little bit of a limiting box on something because if there wasn't very much an original theory of um you being able to be something that's not already listed then it just doesn't exist and a prime example of that would be gender markers uh male and female um if there wasn't anything prior to that or anything historically that we could base it off of then you're kind of just stuck and you have to pick one and we're doing it we're doing our best to move out of that now but it's still really based on what was originally there and that is to be blamed on naming and labeling and the concept of that which is ironic because from the beginning we knew that it wasn't just male and female but we chose to do it that way because it would be easier well we're learning it's not easy now because people are mad and that i am people <laughs> um but regardless it kind of transitioned a lot into um naming and labeling became a thing within the queer community as something that could be reclaimed and you see this in all communities reclaiming language reclaiming um something to identify with and something to feel comfort in but at the same time there are people that still really don't like names and labels and want to avoid those things which is also valid and understandable i was once in that position um we talked about that earlier but for me then later i kind of personally realized that it was beneficial for me and it helped me a lot um but that's not to say that that's everybody's experience um and how everybody feels um so I think it is interesting that the concept of me thinking that just telling somebody my name would put some humanization to me while also then thinking about just the history of naming and labeling and everything that goes into that um, being kind of the way that it was and the way that it is now and the way that hopefully it will be uh, is really an interesting concept. And I do think that that can also be transferable to humanization as well as to maybe breaking binaries and dichotomies down um, because it is it does and it will so oh i love it yeah so it's so interesting that you started off being like i don't want labels i don't want names um I, i'm not an army and now you're saying well if they including like if army knew who i was like maybe that would maybe that would help. So not only are you you like you've given yourself a name and you want you want to speak that name, but you want to speak it to Army and to BTS. So that's it's really interesting. Like it really speaks to the the nuance and the complexity of life. So naming and labeling has been so detrimental to everyone and everything essentially. But also the way to reclaim that power is through naming. But it's through you know having the choice um and you being the one to name yourself and to label yourself and not having other people do it and i think that's you know that's key so 
speaking of army, there is this excerpt that I would like you to read out. (laughs) We are getting to the end and I really want to get to this part for sure. So, um, yeah, you wanted wanted them to know your name um, and why is this? So I think we'll start with this excerpt. For sure, yeah, let me get into that here. So kind of just again, going off of that concept that we were just talking about, but um, here's another piece from my essay. The more I think about it and the more the fear closets way up my esophagus, stopping the words from being spoken, I think to myself that I would rather tell Echo my story. I think about Echo's story and how I found so many different aspects of it relatable in my own way, but more so, all I could think about was wanting to meet Echo, wanting to tell Echo my name and reciprocate Echo's story with my own story. I want to be friends with Echo. I think we could be really good friends. It only took but one sentence for all the pieces to come together once again. The fictitious life of Echo, who is the physical embodiment of Army. There it was, the truth untold. I didn't really want to talk to Echo. I wanted to talk to Army. I still want to talk to Army. Ooh, okay. So for those um, who don't know, Echo is the character in Idol Limerence. Um, I created Echo as the physical embodiment of Army. I kind of took my experience and um, the experience of everyone that I managed to observe and see all around me and kind of smooshed it into one person. Um, and I named her Echo intentionally because she is an echo of the fandom. Um, so that's just an FYI. So I found that so interesting um, when I was reading that, of course, because I'm the one who wrote Echo. So that was really, um, I wasn't expecting to read that at all. Um, but then also that you were able to come to that realisation, like you do want to talk to ARMY, you want that connection with ARMY. So here's a group of people that you essentially rejected at the start because you were rejecting that part of yourself. And now you're like, hey, ARMY, where you at? I want to I wanna chat, like what's going on? Um, okay, so that kind of also says to me that you're not talking to ARMY, like you're, you're not feeling um, connected in a, in a big way within fandom, which is also something that I really resonate with, which is why, you know, I get so excited to talk about it. So what I want to know from you is um, do you find that being an ARMY has been a lonely experience? And um, also if you could tell us about the time that you went to see BTS perform because this is something that I haven't uh, had the experience of. So tell us about going to their concert and um, how that ties into this theme of loneliness for you. Yeah, so um, my, I want to say that I, as far as the question as, you know, finding my army experience to be kind of a lonely experience, I would say to begin with, yes, very much so. But I think that was due to a lot of other factors and also due very much to the fact that I was like, I'm not a part of this. I do not belong and that's okay. Um, And once I got over that a little bit per se and worked through it, Uh, It did change things a little bit, but that wasn't to say that it was still very lonely for a period of time, specifically being my my first concert experience, which very much also overlapped a lot with a very vulnerable time in my life. I didn't plan to get these tickets. It was kind of a stroke of luck. I had applied to get them and I missed the ticket period because I fell asleep, (laughs) took a nap. And woke up and it was done <laughs> and i was like that's fine this is just how it's gonna go and so i just kind of wrote it off it wasn't gonna happen it was fine and then two weeks before the concert was to happen 
I got a text from the ticketing service in the States with a code saying, you can go get a ticket now. We've opened more. Here's a code. And I was like, that's weird. I should check it out. And so I looked it up and I put in my code and they had a bunch of seats available. And I picked like the cheapest one and hit add to cart and then just did it. And I didn't even have a plane ticket yet. It was in a completely different state. (laughs) And I was like, this is fine. (laughs) We'll make this work. But also very much at the same time that I didn't quite think about was it was approximately two weeks post a gender affirming surgery that I was to have and had had. And so I went to my appointment to get bandages removed and I asked my surgeon, hey, am I cleared to fly? And she said, I don't see why not. Just be careful and, you know, listen to your body, whatnot. And I said, great, because I'm on my way to the airport after this appointment. (laughs) And my dad dropped me off at the airport after my appointment and I flew to the concert. And yeah, I went to it alone two weeks post-op and uh, with some minor restrictions. And um, I write a lot about it in my essay just as far as the experience itself. But uh, it, it was it was great all in all like it was fine but there was a lot of stuff to think about after um in the concept of the theme of loneliness and also being very vulnerable post post op and mentally probably wasn't the best choice for me to do something like that alone but at the same time i'm really glad that i did do it it un- unintentionally turned into a looking forward to k-pop events and concerts and things as like a form of self-care <laughs> which is fine it's just an expensive form of self-care um but either way it was um really interesting to be honest and i did talk to people and i did meet some people but it didn't feel like it should have which was how it feels now which i maybe i don't know if we want to talk too much about that at this time but yeah yeah, well i guess how that went well it kind of goes into the next question of like what's changed like so this is that was your experience then of course it's so um you know, impacted by your transition and like getting surgery, like affirming surgery, which of course is in the name, must have been very affirming, but still very emotional, very big. It's still also surgery. Then traveling on top of that, going to a concert by yourself, like, wow. Um, Were these the concerts in Las Vegas or were they in LA? Uh, These were the ones in LA. I went Mm -hmm. to the last day in LA, the the uh, gin day one and then i did go to las vegas though then again following and that was kind of leading into you know how things have changed now okay after i did the 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 la concert i went to the um, ptd in theaters concert in Mm -hmm. my hometown with my mom and i learned from the la concert that i should make gifts for people and just hand them out and just you know i that felt like i'm i like doing that i like being creative and doing something like that so i was like i might as well and i knew how big the theater was and i could kind of see ahead of time how many seats had been bought out so i kind of just planned a number and just was handing them out before the the show started and from that i i went home and in that i had included like a social media ad and i didn't really expect anything from it but um somebody messaged me on social media and was like thank you so much for the gift i i don't have like any army friends um i don't like i kind of feel separated from it a little bit in the sense that um they were older had kids married you know part of a different you know Dynamic than what you people assume to be army, 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you still came. I'm so glad you, you know, you went out of your comfort zone and did that. In a lot of ways I did too. Like, I mean, I dragged my mom along with me. I mean, she's a gym and stand now, but it's fine. But <laughs> I dragged my mom along with me. Like, you know, it's all those things. But, um, and so we kind of connected over that. And she mentioned she was going to the Las Vegas show. And I was like, oh, I just went to the LA one. I don't think I'm going to be able to go to the Las Vegas one, but like, I'll take a look at tickets and stuff. And she had offered to meet me there. Um, I could stay in the hotel with her. We could do the whole thing together. We, um, and I thought about it. I really did. And we talked a lot over the course of the next few months. And then I spontaneously bought tickets to the concert again, two weeks before (laughs) I got to stop doing that and bought a plane ticket and flew in and she picked me up from the airport. And that was the first time we met. I mean, we both are from where we live now in like kind of in the same area, but we met the first time in Las Vegas and it was great and we had a lot of fun and we did a lot of fun things and we went to the concert we didn't have seats by each other but we still had a great time and that was also the last day um of the concert which was when they announced the date for proof so it was very high emotion it was just a whole experience on itself and on top of that I didn't feel as alone because I did know somebody there and I felt a little bit more comfortable kind of stepping outside of my, you know, comfort zone. And I can't remember, but I think I had leftover freebies from PTD in cinemas too. So I was also handing those out at the concert too, um, which helped too. Cause then you just engage with people more and people will like do trades and stuff. So it was really fun and it just changed everything for me. And so from then on, it very clearly became a quicker part of like, army being a large part of my identity and who I was um, to the point where then it affected like my friends around me and now they are thankfully very receptive of the information and I was able to share them share it with them and they're very invested in the sense that they love supporting me and so they'll go to certain events so we also went to see yet to come in cinemas together which was really fun and I now have a, arguably a little bit more of a social media presence although that's a little bit more related to collecting and things like that but I also then put out you know requests for pen pals and so now I have k-pop pen pals from all over the world that I communicate with um that's really fun and kind of helpful for somebody who also has a lot of social anxiety to just be able to like write and make creative letters and give people gifts and then get something in return um is really fun too so in a lot of ways it has changed I was a little a little afraid for that because I didn't want to be misleading, but I still think that my original experience and the start of my experience, my journey is very valid and very relatable for a lot of people. Um, so I think it's important to not talk about that, um, like in the sense that just because that's not how I'm living now, um, doesn't mean that it wasn't something I still had to go through, if that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, of course. And it's such um, an important part to talk about because I feel like as a fandom, what we talk about is the good stuff. Like, oh, I went to, a, I, I'm collecting now. I went to a concert, handed out freebies. I've made friends, you know. Um, that That's normal to hear. What's not normal to hear is I didn't want to be an army. I found it really hard fitting in, you know. That's, it's not the shiny stuff that we talk about. And also it doesn't fit into the, the general media's idea of who the fans are and who army are either which is why we need to talk about it um, because it is really complex. And if we don't have these conversations, um, people won't know that they aren't alone. Um, and the same with your trans journey um, and the same with everything that you've talked about today. Like it is so important just to tell the story, which is why I Am Army exists as a book 
because I wanted to give that opportunity to anyone to tell whatever story it is they have to tell because we need to tell all the stories. Otherwise, how do we know that like we exist and that we matter? How do we tell ARMY who we are? How do we tell BTS who we are? And how do we let the world know that this is, you know, what fandom is really like? So on that, and this isn't on our previously discussed questions list, but um, what made you want to submit your essay to I Am ARMY and what was that process like for you? Yeah, that one was an interesting one because I had actually, I think around that time, I had actually just finished my undergrad. So I had just finished like three to four intensive months of working on this thesis that I had recently talked about um, earlier. And also just all of the stuff that I was studying and doing was kind of coming to an end, which was a little heartbreaking for me as somebody who really, really liked being in school and really dreaded going into a capitalistic workforce. <laughs> um, shocker, I know. Um, so I was a little, you know, heartbroken in that sense and for also to have ended the way that it did, which is during pandemic time and everything like that. And so that was also then again, you're adding on my transition, you're adding on becoming ARMY, and then luckily you're adding on finding Idol Limerence, which was very helpful. And so I think right when I finished Idol Limerence, I was kind of just like had that, you know, post uh, book glow and was kind of just like, oh my gosh, in my life. Um, and so I was like, I need to know more. So I had like searched you up and everything. And right when I searched you up was when you had posted about um, the idea of doing an I Am Army 2. And I was like, well, that's interesting. What's I Am Army 1? <laughs> I was just like, hold on a second. I, I missed an episode. Turns out I just missed a book. So then I bought I Am Army 1 and read that. And was like, oh, okay, I'm caught up now. <laughs> so now we're talking about I Am Army 2. What are we saying about it? And that was when you had posted the submission. And I was just like, should I? <laughs> I was like, I am missing writing. It's been a bit since I graduated. And I kind of thought about it. And I just started writing just to see what would come out. And I was a little bothered by what came out, to be honest, uh, because I was like, wow, this is depressing. <laughs> and, but like you said, it's the stuff that needs to be talked about. Like we hear all the good stuff. We know the good stuff is there. That's why we're here. <laughs> if it was, if there was no good stuff, we wouldn't be here. Um, but I, I just kept going and I kept pushing it. And to be honest, it was really therapeutic in the sense that I was able to make those connections with my gender journey and not feel like any of these aspects of my experiences at that time were overlooked. Um, and it gave me time to personally analyze it and personally kind of feel a little bit of closure. And so I was kind of pleased with it. I was really hesitant to submit it because I had actually, in the time that I decided maybe I should try this and saw the opening, I had finished it approximately a month before the due date. And that felt too quick. I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I feel like this is something that people should submit like five minutes before it closes. Like you should really spend all your time on it and really just polish it up. And I was like, but if I don't submit it now, I might never submit it. And so I just hit submit and I didn't look back until I got the acceptance email. And I, at that point, that was when I had also, I had not told anybody I had applied either. I just was like, hey, remember the thing I was working on that I never told you about? That went through. And they were like, what? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I'll show you the book in two years when it's out. Um. Like, nobody knew. They didn't know what I was talking about. I was like, well, and I don't want to start with, well, you know how I like BTS. Like, that's yeah. not going to get us anywhere. I was like, don't worry about it. It's good. We're good. So that was kind of how I found it. It, it was really interesting that it happened like right around the time I had finished Idol Limerence too. So I was just like, I'm curious. 
And then I found the other books and I was like, well, I mean, say no more, add to cart, you know, but I was just like, oh, okay. And then like, the link was there and I was just like, I'm like, watching me? I'm going to, I'm going to click this really quick and just yeah. see what it's about. <laughs> wow. Well, 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 I'm so glad to know that my master plan worked. Um, reel them in with the first book, then, then I get their stories. Yes. <laughs> diabolical all right so what i want to know is for um for anyone who's listening who's resonating with your story um they're struggling with these binaries and dichotomies that so often dominate and control us what words of advice do you have for like negotiating um the complexities of this wonderful human existence yeah i think and i do think i touched on this a little bit but i did want to get more into it which is really interesting that you asked this because like i had said previously i personally try to live my life very much beyond the binary and outside of the binary just because i like to you know mess with that in the sense that it is a social construct that primarily exists in the societies that we live in and i don't agree with it and i think that we should mess with it a little bit a lot of it and um I, um, as far as like giving people advice to that though, and you know, that concept of like feeling alone or feeling overwhelmed by these binaries, um, it really is hard. I feel like I didn't realize how hard it was because I was just doing it naturally in like kind of a spiteful way, but also because that's just my identity and that's just like how it is. It was something I learned when I had, unfortunately, was put into positions where I had to explain my transness to the people around me. And when I realized that like explaining it to them was not a normal feeling that people feel a lot of the time, I was just like, oh, no wonder it's so hard for you to think about it this way is because you just don't feel how I feel and you've never had to feel how I feel. So you wouldn't think that that was something people would feel really roundabout way to explain how cis people don't understand trans experiences because they can't experience it themselves but similarly if somebody else is experiencing something i can't experience it's very likely i'm not going to be able to like put myself in that mindset and so naturally my baseline wouldn't be to start in that mindset which i think is really unfortunate and really dangerous in the way that a lot of how things happen in our society happens is just because you don't understand how what other people are experiencing is something that they can in fact experience just because you can't experience it um and i think that that relates to a lot of relationships whether it's with society whether it's um, my favorite one would be actually the parent-child relationship just this idea that like a child can have feelings that you can't have um and a lot of times without knowing it, parents will be like, well, I've never experienced that. So you must be lying. And then that gets related to just all kinds of relationships, whether that's, you know, friendships, um, uh, you know, romantic relationships, and then also just bigger relationships. So with society, with the government, with idol fan, right? Um, and so I think that's really hard to step away. And I didn't realize how difficult it was to step away because I realized later on in life that I was actually just doing it naturally, just by being spiteful, just by being who I was, just by like existing. And then when I realized that it wasn't like a natural thing that people were doing, that it was actually stuff that you have to work for. And then I realized I wasn't working as hard as I could be. And so I tried to work harder and be better at it. Um, the best way to kind of describe how that looks and how that can be done was really really summed up well in the book idol limerence talking about the idea of being revolutionaries and 
um, what that looks like and what that means. And in a really roundabout way, it came to being kind of like the act of loving yourself as a form of, you know, protest. Um, and I was just like, oh, this is really interesting because it 100% ties into the internalized transphobia that I was experiencing, the rejecting of the army label to begin with as being just this, like, I was not allowing myself to have the one thing that actually would make my life a lot easier. Um, and I was like, maybe if I tried to love myself a little bit more, I wouldn't be so upset and sad and lonely about it. But it's hard to do. It's really hard to do because everything around me at the time was telling me that I shouldn't love myself. I absolutely should not. Everything growing up was telling me that that was wrong. Um, and it, and it's not. So <laughs> spoiler alert, it's perfectly fine and it's okay. And that applies to every other aspect of that as well. So as much as I want to say, like, I have all the answers to, like, you know, being yourself and loving yourself and stepping outside of the binary and just, like, existing in, like, a relatively stress-free, social construct-free, capitalistic-free world, I don't have those answers. And I probably can't even explain them very well, but I can be there with you and we can do it together. And, like, <laughs> I think that if everybody did it, it would be fine and it would probably be better than what we're doing now, which is, like, letting it consume us. And, you know, letting it um, tell us to hate ourselves <laughs> as the opposite of what we're trying to get out of it. Um, so, yeah, my, my words of advice are probably to read Idle Limerence at this point, because I feel like we keep circling back to that. <laughs> hey, I am, I'm not against that. If, if people want to go buy a copy of my book um yes uh, i'll leave links at the end of this um so what i've heard from you just then and throughout the the talk um is that it's really about resisting right and um resisting the dominant discourse the status quo resisting in whatever way you can whether that be using pronouns uh whether that be gosh really anything changing your hair um identifying different you know like there's so many different ways for all of us to resist um trans or not um but of course your experience is so typified by the fact that this this is your journey this is your experience so it, it is the transgender experience that's what you've been having right um so resist in whatever way you can and try to find community or try to create community which is what you did so you you were part of army but then you had to take that step to find a way to create community for yourself and you did that by doing the the giveaways and you've got pen pals now and you're like you've got a little thing going on instagram which i'll plug at the end um you know so like resist love yourself um or at least try to, <laughs> um, you know, that like it's it's never perfect and to, to find community um, and to, to obviously buy Idle Limerence. And if you want to buy multiple copies as well, like that's fine. I'm okay with that, everyone. Um, so, yeah, like I think that's what I picked up. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really what I heard and I hope that's what people can take away from this as well. That's what I'm taking away for sure. Um, and lastly, the very, very last question is, <laughs> this is this is the hardest question I'm going to ask you today. Um, I hope you're ready. So you're only going to have like 30 seconds to respond or less. Okay, there's a time limit. So, and I hope you've already thought about this, but um, quickly, quickly tell me what your favorite BTS era, 
music video and song is. Okay, favorite era and <laughs> song are kind of the same. I'm just going to have to sum it up with the whole B album. That's when I found them. It was also the first album I bought and all of the songs on that album spoke to me at some point in my life very specifically. Um, as far as music video, I err on the side of favorite choreo, which is Boy With Love choreo, because I love that choreography. <laughs> and if I could dance as well as that, I would want to learn that one first. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that we're going to get a dance video from you soon. Um, yes. I'm, yes. <laughs> great. That I mean, why not? All right. So the B era, um, the music video is Boy With Love. And then is there a specific song off of B? Um, I liked a lot of them for a period of time and I didn't realize at the time that they were all from the same album ironically and so then after I realized that all of the ones that I was like this is my favorite song for this week this is my favorite song for this week and I was like oh they're all from the same album guess I have a favorite album good to know (laughs) um but the one that always kind of stands out to me is definitely blue and gray which is really sad oh my goodness (laughs) but it's true (laughs) it stood out to me at the time (laughs) that i found them and it stands out to me now a lot of the time um and it is the one that was also included in uh ptd i think along with one other one but yeah Mm. blue and gray yeah (laughs) wow and how is that transition between um blue and gray and black swan like (laughs) hello um that one's just like a they like to play jokes on army (laughs) yeah yeah. That's- well they like to they like to impress <laughs> us as well and I'm I'm very glad for that. Okay. Well, we have spoken for over an hour. I can't believe it. I was concerned that we wouldn't have enough to talk about. Um, <laughs> um I hope you enjoyed your time here today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank so you. thank yeah, you so no, it much. Was really, it was awesome. Great, great. (laughs) All right, we can get goofy now. All right, so Ran Rice, thank you so much for joining me today. (laughs) You can find Ran on Twitter and Instagram um, at chickenbits, so B-I-T-Z underscore. And then um, Ran also has a K-pop specific Instagram, specific, uh, so chickenbits, so C-H-C-K-N-B-T-Z. Yes. Wait, is it Z American or Z UK? What do you say? Do you say Z? Oh, we say Z, but I understand yeah. both because I'm so glad I you understand both. Yes, <laughs> different languages. It's I was just not that... by you saying that. <laughs> no, I always get confused because I grew up um, watching Sesame Street, and so I think when they did stuff, it was um, Z, and then I'm yeah. now I'm confused. Okay, anyway, um, anyway, I digress. You can find me, Willie Eaglehawk, your gracious host, uh, at the BTS Theorist on Instagram. As well as Willie Eaglehawk, um, you can figure out the spelling in your own time, everyone. Not going to read that out. On Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and essentially everywhere online. <laughs> this is the goofy segment. All right, you can pick up a copy of I Am Army, We Don't Need Permission, um, and Idle Limerence, and all my other books at revoltbooks.com. You can also find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Depository, but fuck capitalism. So order from your local indie retailer if you're not going to buy from my website. Um, but honestly, you can buy it from anywhere. I make money regardless. You will read our book. It's all good. I love capitalism. Here, here. Um, anyway, <laughs> this has this has gotten much worse. Um, as soon as we hit that hour mark, this is why I made Rand talk most of the time. So anyway, Rand, thank you so much. Um, we'll continue chatting after I end this, so don't disappear. But everyone else, our time has come to an end. Um, tune in for next time when I will be joined with my next lovely guest. All right. Bye.